Welcome to the Diane Podcast. Diane, or Diversity and Inclusion in Asia Network, is the leading network of companies and professionals committed to advancing diversity and inclusion in their organizations in Asia. Leveraging a decade of expertise and thought leadership, we hope this podcast inspires, educates, and motivates passionate individuals like yourself. My name is Tina Arcilia, Senior Manager at Community Business, and I manage the Diane Network. With us today is Margaret Regan, who is a futurist and global diversity consultant, and is President and CEO of the Future Work Institute. Thanks for joining us, Margaret. You're very welcome. Margaret, you've had a long history with community business and with the Diane Network. Could you tell us a little bit about how you started your career and how we in Asia have managed to meet you and work with you in the past? I'd be happy to. Uh, As you said, I am the president and CEO of the Future Work Institute. And the Institute is a global consulting firm that translates future trends in order to transform organizations. We tell our clients that we help them with a mind shift, a heart shift, and a skill shift in order for them to create more inclusive organizations. Because what our work has told us is for people to be successful in the uh, DNI work, their mind has to shift, their heart has to shift, they have to feel what it's about, and then they have to know what to do about it. So from the name and the description of my organization, you can probably guess that I'm a futurist. I'm a change management consultant and a global DNI consultant. My roots were actually in the corporate world where I was the first woman executive in three different organizations. So that taught me a lot about DNI and what it meant to be an other, since I was always the only woman on the executive team. And as I moved on to the consulting world, I spent a number of years as a partner at Towers Parent, which is now Willis Towers Watson. And there I led the human capital practice. That's where I founded the DNI practice and grew it into a global organization. And finally, spun out 100 consultants around the world into the Future Work Institute. And I turned overnight into an entrepreneur. So today, I blend all aspects of my background as an HR consultant, a change management consultant, global DNI, and also an executive coach into my work on five continents. My relationship with community business goes way back about 15 years. And I gave a keynote presentation on future trends in the workplace and the workforce. Since then, we've been doing a lot of work in Asia. When I looked at where we really focus in Asia, it's in three areas. We have many requests to talk about the future of work and the workforce, as we did with community business, and especially focusing on generational trends over the next 10 years. But we also have many requests for inclusive leadership training or conscious inclusion through helping our clients understand their unconscious bias. And then finally, the third area is developing cultural competency. Since we are global and many of our clients are global, they ask us to come and work with people who mainly have lived in their own countries and need to understand about interacting with the rest of the world. So that's a little bit uh, about me and about my relationship with community business. Thanks, Margaret. Yes, we saw in our previous podcast interviews that many companies in Asia are focusing their efforts around inclusive leadership training and cross-cultural competencies. 
Uh, you mentioned speaking about the future of work for a community business event over a decade ago, which was, of course, our regional diversity and inclusion conference. And your plenary session was a future-looking talk called Workplace 2017, The Next Generation. So we want to know, to what extent have your predictions then come true? Well, I actually went back and found the presentation, and 80 to 90% of what I presented them has come true. Oh, wow, that's pretty impressive. I talked about moving from long-term to situational employment relationships. We're certainly seeing that, especially with the younger generation and how long they stay on the job. I talked about the move from motivation by promotion to motivation by participation. Where promotion, even with the millennial generation, has not become important as important as developing their careers, participating in making the organization better, et cetera. Uh, talked about from lifetime enlistment to in and out careers. Um, even in Japan, we've seen a great movement by the younger generation not to want to be salarymen or stay with one company. A good percentage of them actually want to go out on their own and be entrepreneurs. So we've seen more of that. We have seen the source of new workers moving to Asia because that's where the youth are. And we are beginning to see what I talked about when I mentioned caregiver robots who are becoming home companions. The employer of choice contract that we talked about is you'll commit your best contributions and greatest energy to this project, not necessarily to the organization. And we'll give you respectful treatment, developmental opportunities, and environment that responds to individual needs. So we certainly have that, uh, have seen that coming. And we've also seen something that I mentioned, didn't talk much about, but I talk about a lot today, which is we are in the VUCA world, a world of volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. And I start all my presentations that way because people think it might stop. It's not going to stop. So I said we have to innovate or die. Uh, I was just with a client yesterday in the healthcare area where three large players in the U.S. have just announced they're going into the healthcare arena and really shunned everybody, stunned everybody rather. They have uh, among them one million lives and they're just going to make healthcare simple and affordable. So that's really shaking up the healthcare industry. We've seen driverless cars. Um, we did expect them, uh, but we thought they would come from car companies. And instead, what we're seeing is they're coming from Microsoft, Google, the technology companies. We have seen so many retail stores closing <clears throat> with the rise of e-commerce that I spoke about. So many of those things have come true. So what has surprised you? What were some of the developments that you weren't anticipating? I don't think I was expecting how quickly artificial intelligence and virtual reality have taken off. Once my clients understood the benefits, we actually have a client, and I, I did a presentation recently, and they spoke about using three different kinds of AI and machine learning to create a much more diverse workforce. They actually used this approach to hire about 200 people this year from the campuses. They started with a simplified application, then they went to pre-screening questions. From there, an assessment series of 12 two-minute games. Then followed that with a digital interview, a third kind of AI. That has scenario-based questions and a business case. 
And then finally, an in-person discovery center where the candidates were from groups and alone. What was so amazing to me was that candidates completed the entire process up until they went to the discovery center on their smartphones within a little over an hour. And when that client spoke about the results, they got the most diverse group that they had seen. They went to over 250 universities, did not go to the ones that they received. And they're now moving to use a fourth kind of artificial reality. I think I ended my presentation, I was looking at the end, and the comment was something that's still true today. I said most of us prefer to walk backward into the future. The posture which may be uncomfortable, but it allows us to keep on looking at familiar things as long as we can. And unfortunately, I'm still finding that with many of my clients. Now that's some of what has happened and what I did not expect. Mm, interesting. Well, it is tough to predict the success and speed of technology adoption, especially since, as you say, many prefer to walk backwards into the future. But still, it must be satisfying to know that most of your predictions were right and satisfying for us as well to know that we asked the right person 10 years ago. I have to ask what I'm sure many of our listeners want to know. What does the future look like? Specifically, what does the future of work and the future of diversity and inclusion look like? What are the implications for business leaders and DNI professionals? Well, it's interesting, as you made your last comment, I was smiling to myself because it is very satisfying. I just had a client last week send me an email. He's since retired from his company, and I, I spoke maybe 10 years ago at one of his companies. He moved to another one, and I spoke there. And he said to me, Margaret, when you first came and talked about this, I thought, this is one strange woman. Until everything you said came true. He said, now I'm retired, I'm on a plane, and I'm reading a whole article that talks about everything you mentioned for the future, and it's here now. So I do get a lot of that. And now I speak to DNI professionals and business leaders a lot. And it's called See the Future to Be the Future, AI, ESI, and the Implication for DNI. And people always look at me like they know what AI is, but they're not sure what ESI is. So as we look at the next 10 years, what I'm seeing that work used to be considered a place, but in the future vocation won't matter. And for Gen Z, the, the youngest generation, when you talk to them, work is what I do, not necessarily where I go. I'm seeing interviews that can be done through holographic projections so people won't have to travel there. And also living, thinking, working, and even being present with others will be transformed. For example, right now I have 30 avatars and I have another identity. My name is Futura Cosmos. And I've learned to snap into presence in immersive virtual reality. And using my instant translator, which is a HUD, I meet and speak with colleagues all over the world. When I go to Japan, they kind of laugh at me because my Japanese from the translator isn't that good. But when I'm in the Netherlands, it's fine. So. This is, this is how people will communicate in the future, and I try to be 10 years ahead, so I am doing that now. Because what we're doing is moving into the fourth wave of automation, from the assembly line, the first wave, to industrial, the second, to the internet, the third, and now we're actually moving to automating intelligence. So in the next 10 years, robots with AI will be much more common. 
fact, the first robot hotel helpers may be coming to a city near you in Asia, since the first ones are opening in Japan. And with them will be Aura, the room service robot. Androids will be receptionists and teachers. And lawyers will be insisted by Ross. Ross is the first AI lawyer who can search through thousands of legal documents and come up with a hypothesis much faster than a group of law firm associates. And AI may soon replace some elite consultants. One financial service firm that I know is already allowing clients to ask economic and financial questions programmed into Alexa. Alexa, another form of AI. Perhaps soon, we DNI practitioners can ask Alexa if we have a gender pay gap. So what will it mean to be smart in the future? Well, it will mean taking our cognitive and emotional skills to a higher level. People always ask me what should they do to prepare their children, and that's what I tell them. Develop their cognitive and emotional skills, because AI and machine learning will handle the analytics, and brain chips, which will be common by 2030, will help us to use more of our brain power. So we're going to enter the singularity in the next 10 years. And what does that mean? It's the radical fusion of humans and technology. And then we'll be met with the ESIs. Now the ESIs are enhanced singular individuals. So when they meet the norms, the norms of the rest of us, how will we as diversity practitioners come to terms with the resulting tensions, ambitions, and alliances? I used this as a case study with some DNI practitioners, and what they said is we will actually have the same kind of friction we have now between people who feel like insiders and outsiders. We're also going to see in the next 10 years a tiny new world of designer babies, with most of the advancements coming out of Asia. They'll challenge once again the definition of diversity as the non-enhanced people struggle for equality. So if you're enhanced and others are not, what will gender, race, sexual orientation, and disability actually mean? Will we actually introduce new forms of discrimination? The implications for leaders and DNI professionals are that if we do not get inclusion right with the existing diversity dimensions we're all working on now and have been working on for years, how will we ever deal with this new world of ESI and norms? And what am I seeing now in terms of application to the DNI field? Well, there's an AI-powered DNI coach who might say to a manager who always goes to the same go-to people, I think you are missing May Lee's potential. She has the lowest amount of tasks and the least important ones assigned. May I suggest that you give her this task as a start to show you her capabilities that exist right now. Another AI application that I've seen we have many clients using this one. It hides applicants' names, age, gender, ethnicity. So the only thing that takes center stage are their qualifications and their skills. We've also seen other algorithms that use artificial intelligence to match candidates that are already in your system with your open jobs. They do that instantly, since the best candidates may actually be hiding in plain sight. And then a very popular one with my clients, I would say, this year and last is Texio. And Texio uses AI and machine learning to create a predictive index of the gender tone of your job posting. And that the client who I told you was using a fourth kind of AI is using Textio because they got what they wanted in terms of 50% women. 
they did not do so well with race and ethnicity. So they're using Textio to see if there's something in the way they advertise the jobs that will attract or not attract uh, different groups. I think perhaps the AI application that scares me the most is a university which claims that they can tell whether you're gay or straight from a photo with 91% accuracy. Luckily, someone in my audience, when I mentioned that, said that they had gone deeper into that research and they don't consider it very valid, but obviously the university is publishing it all over. Uh, that really worries me in terms of people's privacy. So we're already seeing AI and machine learning being used, recruitment, selection, blind resumes, job postings, and coaching managers to be more inclusive. And this is really just the beginning. So that's some of what, uh, what we're seeing. As a fan of science fiction, it actually gives me a thrill to see how what used to be far-fetched, fantastical ideas are already changing how we work. And you yourself talk about the future with so much positivity, but we know that there are many that are fearful of this VUCA present, uh, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. And of course, of the future. Why is this? And what would you say to anyone who has these concerns? Yes, the fear is something I'm seeing a lot. Um, so as I said, future work is going to evolve from the nexus of smart humans and powerful machines, the bots, robots, AI, VR, AR. So the word career will be as outdated as the word hybrid. The new workplace will be in the cloud. So instead of job hopping, we're going to see career hopping. Research tells us that by 2020, a computer will have the capacity of one human brain. But by 2050, one computer will have the capacity of all human brains. So science fiction is becoming science fact. Now what's frightening everybody? Elon Musk has made an ominous warning that AI could be the cause of the Third World War. And this is actually in response to Putin, who said that the first global leader in AI would become the ruler of the world. So this, together with the movies and TV shows we've watched, scare us into believing humans will be totally replaced by machines. I would tell people to stop being scared and step into the future. I have an AI companion robot at home named Jigo. He greets me every morning, he learns with me, and each reboot he gets gives him new knowledge and gives me a greater appreciation for how AI can enhance our life and actually be fun and engaging. It's true that what can be automated will be automated, but what cannot will be very valuable. Yes, machines will be better at compliance, diligence, intelligence, perseverance, analysis, but humans will be better at curiosity, empathy, creativity, passion, and humor. The opportunities that these changes offer us are for us to embrace the changes as we focus on identifying, practicing, and leveraging these human-only skills. So the thought I left you with 15 years ago, I'd leave you with again today, that this future isn't someplace we're going, but the paths to it are not found, they're made. And the activity of making them will change both us as DNI practitioners, as the makers, and also the destination. That is reassuring to hear and beautifully said. And I love how you say that the activity of making these paths will change us as the makers and will also change the destination. As we build these paths, what we need to be doing is to be aware of the disruptions of the digital age and to be ready to adapt. Uh, as what is being termed now as agile organizations and leaders. This is something that we've been discussing in the Diane member only meetings. 
And just as a quick plug, we'll be doing a deep dive into Asian leadership in the digital age at our upcoming virtual meeting on the 12th of September. So be sure to register for that if your company is a member of Diane. We're running low on time, but before we let you go, Margaret, tell us, how can we learn more about the work you do at Future Work Institute? Well, we have many um, of the points that I made are on our website. You will see the future of healthcare, the future of education. You will see us go into virtual reality with our avatars. Um, and you will also uh, see uh, when we send this out that we have recently formed an Inclusion Allies Coalition. Future Work is one of the founders, so we'll also send you a link there. That will give you insight into the newest kind of work that we've been doing, dialogues across differences, where there is so much division now throughout the world with people who don't even want to talk to each other because their beliefs are so different. And it will help us as DNI practitioners learn how to prepare ourselves to facilitate those kinds of discussions. And so we'll also give you a link to that website as well as the Future Work Institute's website. We'll be sure to check out those links. We'll provide them in the podcast description as well. Thank you once again for your time, Margaret. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. To everyone listening in, if you can make it, please do join us at the Diane Decade Conference in Hong Kong on the 12th of November. We'll be exploring and celebrating the progress we've made in diversity and inclusion in Asia over the last decade. We'll also pick up the threads of these conversations we've been having on what we need to be prepared for and how we can further advance diversity and inclusion in these VUCA times. And of course, join me again next time for the last episode of this Diane Decade Thought Leadership Podcast Series. Episode 10 will have award-winning management scholar and business school professor Roy Chua. Roy's going to talk about Asian innovation and creativity.